and mid being that broke eating peanut butter out of a jar and rotisserie chicken at walmart like every day for like three weeks i was like no nah, i don't want this job he's like why would a person as broke as you say that for a job that you pretty much would have got if you just said the right things he's like he said that shows like a level of like being a legit builder that's the kind of guy i can invest in i got a startup studio i'm working on i want to give you 100k to start something Hello, friends. Welcome back to Recess, the unfiltered podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs. Today, we have Destin, who is the co-founder and CEO of the Cardio app, basically gamifying cardio, because who likes cardio? Not me. So making it into a game makes it way more fun. Um, From my understanding, 6,000 users in the first just half year of launch. So congrats to you. No, thank you, man. I appreciate it. That's awesome. How'd you get into that? Yeah, so going back to what you just said, hating cardio, that was me. Still is, really. Um, <laughs> and now I'm trying to find a way to make it uh, my job. So I guess, hey, if you want to do something more consistently, get paid to do it so you can get through the, pro- the problems of it. But uh, three years ago, I just graduated college from the University of Kentucky. I was that first hashtag COVID class, May 2020. I could not go to the gym, couldn't go play basketball, couldn't do all these things I usually like to do that tricked me into liking going out and being active. And so it was just me, shoes sidewalk and it's like oh yeah run it's like no sucks didn't want to i wondered is it possible for me to trick myself into enjoying going outside and doing more running or walking or biking or any kind of outdoor movement of any kind i thought about how pokemon go was still extremely popular at that time and was actually surging in popularity because it was giving people an excuse to go outside and be more active and i wondered could you take outdoor cardio tracking like strava and then layer it on top of a game like pokemon go and that was about three years ago, July of 2020. Started really working on it in March of 21. And since then, you know, we've built a team of about five people in terms of like actual employees and about eight, nine in terms of contractors. Been able to raise almost around a million dollars in total capital. And, you know, six months ago, like you said, about 6,000 users and working with some really big brands and communities and, you know, hopefully making people like cardio a little bit more step by step, literally. That's incredible. So with something like Pokemon Go or cardio, it seems like you need a lot of network effects, right? You need a lot of people on it, using it and competing with each other for it to actually gain traction. So how did you actually create that traction? Yeah, the biggest thing about it was finding out what are those key users who are going to become like the foundation of a strong market and a strong network. And so the first thing I realized was, okay, well, we need to double down on people who are consistently going outside and moving. So people are already active. We need to find people who are a part of social groups who would want to share. So that made me lean towards running clubs, corporate groups with corporate wellness programs, race groups, or just general communities of people that are based around activity. And then I wanted to put it into places that were heavily oriented towards health and wellness. So Austin being a really big city for that, New York, San Francisco, um, places in Florida and other places around the world. And we started strategically reaching out to run clubs. And I guess that goes into another explanation I should make about the app. The app is a team game of Turf War. So how it works as you're walking, running, or biking while tracking your mile pace, your distance, your calories, you also claim that area, King of the Hill, capture the flag style for your team and steal from other teams in your area. And those teams aren't like a generic red, green, blue. It's an, it's recess. It's UT Austin. It's Michigan Ann Arbor. It's you, your run club, your basketball team, your company, corporate wellness programs, the sales department versus, the op, versus DevOps. And we use that as a way to get people to sign up, create a team, and then recruit the people in their community to join. And then from that, other groups sign up, want to compete with them. And we've been able to grow pretty virally from that. And our fo- uh, that was pretty much our focus, like thinking about how can we get people to become our biggest brand ambassadors every time they go outside and walk or run using the app. So take me from your first idea until you drop. How'd that go? Were you technical? Did you start building the app yourself? How did that work? Oh, dude, no. Yeah, that was <laughs> a process, bro, for sure. So I got the idea in July 2020, like I mentioned. At that time, it wasn't really even a turf war yet. It was gamifying cardio in some way, shape, or form. Didn't really know what that would look like. Thought about it for a couple of months with the team I had at that time. And then all those people ended up getting because it's like right after college. So all the people I was had the idea with were all both all broke college grads in the middle of COVID, like me. Then they all got jobs, and then I was the only one who didn't have one. They all basically abandoned me. I was like, eh, this is a good idea, and I'm still broke, so I have nothing else to do with my time at the moment since I still don't have a job. Kept ideating on it. Around March of 21, I realized, ooh, what if this was a community-based game of turf war? And initially, it was like a very generic red, green, blue type of competition. 
But then as I thought about it a little bit more and I wondered about monetization, how do we make this scale? How do we get people to care about it? I realized, oh, well, a great way for us to not only be able to get people to care more about it and also drive revenue would be to make it actual community. So not just generic colors or like robots and ninjas and superheroes, but like, oh, make it the legit groups these people are already a part of. So that way, when they're claiming blocks in their city, it's not just walking for the green team, it's walking for UT Austin, it's walking for your startup, it's walking for your corporate group. Mm. And then I thought about, okay, what would that actually look like on a design level on an app? So I started Figma prototyping and doing a lot of user interviews over like nine different clickable prototypes on Figma. And at first, and you guys played around with the app a little bit, so you know how it works. It's like this you know, grid that you claim as you move through certain parts of the grid. Initially, it was like these amorphous shapes based on whatever route that you did, and you'd have to like finish wherever you started for it to work. <laughs> I realized that was stupid because not only would that look ugly, but then it would require people to stop where they started which some people don't like if you're just walking from your car to, you know, your building for your podcast interview and you want to track that, that would be, you know, super inconvenient. Also, it would make it hard for us to really be able to figure out how do we set a leaderboard because how do I go in and say this blob is more impactful than this random amorphous shape over here, whatever. Um, so it didn't lend itself towards making an easily trackable game or something that I could easily use to drive you know engagement for casual people who aren't like doing a specific loop route so eventually it turned into a you know a tetris style grid whereas you move from block to block to block you would claim each of those individual segments of the map and then from there at first it would just be oh whoever the most recent person to move through that area would claim it but then i had people say well what if i walk my dog you know 10 times around this area and then some dude goes to check his mail in that same area and he just steals it from me even though i went around it 10 times and people said that would be an extremely dissatisfying experience for it to only be based on recency so then we had to figure out like how can we factor in consistency so that's when we came up with the attack and defense stat and element of the game whereas you move through an area kind of like a health bar Every time you move through an area, you actually increase the number of times a person needs to go through it in order for them to capture it. And that also became part of the progression system, because one of the things we also ran into is like, well, what makes a person on day 120 feel like they're more accomplished than the person on day one? And just making it wherever you went through, you claim and lose if somebody walks through it afterward. There was no real progression system there. So we realized, well, if we go with this attack defense piece where if you attack and your attack stat is whatever amount of damage you do to an area you move through and your defense stats, however much health you add to an area that you already own. As you level up, you can increase those by 10, either attack or defense, and make it almost like an RPG type thing where you start out at 100 attack, 100 defense, move up from level 1 to level 2. Now you can move up to either 110 attack or 110 defense, mm. and so on and so forth every time you level up. So that way we do allow a level of mastery, progression, and whatnot as people you know continue to use the app consistently. So dabble with all of that and there's a couple other you know small things that we literally just had a major ui ux change literally this morning before i came here that we were still in the process of testing out now that we just push live on the app so it's you know a constant iterative process but it's changed a ton over like the last two years of really ideating and spending time on it where are you getting this feedback from users mostly so there's a little bit of our own individual like oh we tried that i don't like it i thought it sounded way cooler in my head now i put it on the app and it sucks i don't love it but most of it is you know bottom up user oriented we do you know if not more than this monthly interviews with about 20 or 30 of our hardcore users and we say hey what do you think about the app what annoys you what do you not like before we launched the app we were also just reaching out to people in general who had expressed interest in the idea and would say, hey, we made some clickable prototypes on Figma. We're going to just do a screen share on Zoom, and I'm going to click around. Tell me what you think of this. Tell me what you think of that. Tell me what makes sense to you. Tell me what doesn't make sense to you. What reasons would you not use this app? What things would make you really want to use it that aren't there now? And then over you know, hundreds of those, we just figured out, okay, we need to get rid of this. We need to double down on that. We need to add this. We need to scrap that. We were we thought this was something that should be in like the Q3 roadmap, but now we need to move it all the way up to like right now. There's been other things that like, oh, I thought were super important, and I realized, oh, wait, nobody cares about that, so we're scrapping that and pushing it to 2024. So it's just a lot of like bottoms-up feedback from the people actually using the product. Yeah, that's very powerful, like leveraging existing communities, like companies, organizations, schools, rather than just like the blue team or red team. Um how did you acquire those first users? Did, was it a lot of like cold outreach to companies like, hey, you guys should try this out if you're Deloitte, compete with PwC, or 
was it a lot more marketing that was like digital or how, how did you get those first few users? Because 6,000 is an impressive number. Yeah, a lot of it really starts out with just getting, and that's why one of the things we focused on was finding out who are those foundational type of groups that if we get that one big group to try it out and love it, that they're going to tell other groups and their, you know, clout for lack of a better word. And like, oh, I trust them will drive more people. So a lot of it, and this is the, the sucky part for me because I didn't realize how much I would need to run to launch a running app because I'm stupid. <laughs> but a lot of it was me just going to run cr- run clubs. I would literally go to the run club. I would create a team for that run club before I got there. I would go find out who the run club leader was and talk to the other general members. And, and as I, as we were running, I'd just be like, oh, yeah, by the way, check out this new app that I found. That's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that turns your cardio into a giant game of turf. I'm like, what? That's so cool. Dope. Yeah, we, yeah, let's get a team on that. Like, bad. Make a team. Costs us nothing to do that outside of me running three miles in the, in Austin summer, uh, which relatively <laughs> speaking is not that expensive, but very taxing on my body, but whatever. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we get 10 people there and those people sign up and they tell other run clubs about it. They tell other general individual runners about it. And then it spreads from there. So one of our very first big deals was was with Oracle and their corporate wellness program here in Austin. And we actually got that because we had a whole bunch of Oracle employees in March who requested to make a team for Oracle. They told their folks about it. I happened to meet one of their senior directors at NetSuite um, about like a month after that, who said, oh, I heard about this from blah, 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 blah. My company sounds really cool. Set up a meeting and then they doubled down. You know, they became our first paid big company for corporate wellness. And a lot of it is just... You know, that bottoms up approach, starting out with small club here, small group inside the company there. They use it. And when people usually use it, they love it. And then they tell the people about it. And then from there, it just grows very organically. So how do you get some monetization? You mentioned that a company might pay you for to make a team. How does that work? Yeah. So right now, there's a couple of different ways we monetize. Our focus right now is mainly on the B2B end of it. So how that works is usually two ways. It would be A, Corporate wellness, so a company using it internally with their employees, or it would be groups, organizations, communities, etc., building custom teams on the app. So we have a couple of run clubs that are paying to use it. How that would work is they would reach out to us and say, hey, we want to make a UT Austin run club team. They would send us their logo, what color they want their turf to be. And they would say how many members are going to have. We create the team for them. And then we would build those people on a monthly basis for having that team based on either a flat fee subscription or a per member per month fee. So that's how we made most of our money from from that focus right there. Then we also have corporate wellness. So a group like Oracle would say, hey, we want to use this as part of our wellness package. We want to create a fun turf war with our internal employees. So it could be sales versus DevOps versus marketing versus customer success, whatever. And then we have a white labeled version of the app where it would be Oracle employees only and they compete against each other. Mm. And then they pay us on a per user per month based on how many people they have interacting with that program. So instead of saying cardio at the top, it'd say Oracle, basically. No, it would still say cardio on it, but it would be only pub- it would only be accessible by Oracle employees. Mm. It would basically just be the same app, but instead of you looking at the app like it is here in Austin, you see all these random startups and companies and run clubs, it would just only be Oracle teams wow. exclusively. How much do you charge companies for that? subscription uh usually per user per month or a flat fee depends on how big the group is and how they want to go about it with oracle it's like a flat fee uh per month but then we've had other groups that yeah we would prefer to do like a two dollar per user per month model um so yeah and it really depends and the thing is you know just being honest with you we're still very new in the process like monetization for a consumer app like us isn't really our number one priority our real priority is showing that users love it users will continue to use it so that way vcs can give us enough money to make it a viral product and then flipping the switch on monetization and i'm happy to say we've done about seven thousand dollars in revenue so far from that model those two models in the first six months which makes me feel very happy because a lot of it we're not even charging for we're giving a lot of it to people for free but we've had groups who loved it enough to be willing to pay for it up front because they really liked it and they just wanted to support because they loved it enough that they were willing to pay even though they didn't have to um, but eventually we really want to flip that switch and be able to make it something that creates some real legitimate cash flowing type, you know, income for us. Have you seen that your thesis is true that gamifying cardio, is there any way to see if people do more cardio now that it's a game? Yeah. Um, is that possible? Do you have stats like against someone that had a Nike run club account or something you can compare it to? How's that work? Yeah. Not enough data at this moment for us to like definitively prove that. 
I would say that there is general industry agnostic data that can back that up. But in terms of what we've done, because we, you know, we talk to users a lot. Right. We run surveys. We run interviews. We do stuff like that. So we did a survey about a month and a half ago. And we found over about 200 individual users that 75% of them, most of which who were already runners before, said that they were doing more cardio now than they had ever done before when they were using Strava and Nike Run Club and other apps like that. And one of the biggest reasons that they said that was because those apps were trackers. They weren't motivators. There was nothing that Strava was doing specifically to make you feel like, oh, man, I got to go run today. It was more of, I'm going to go run today, and I'm going to track it. With hours, you're getting notifications saying, hey, your team just lost 100 blocks to UT Austin. And it'll show you the specific area that somebody claimed and stole from you and how fast they were going. It's like, man, fuck that guy. I want to get my shit back. Um, And so it was like a driver of legitimate um, engagement. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book Hooked by Neri Yall. It's one of the books. Yeah. So it's this book pretty much all about creating habit-forming products. The idea of it is creating this hooked model of hooking somebody on your product. And there's multiple steps to it. The most important one being the trigger. Mm -hmm. Something that makes somebody think, oh, I need to think about, I need to go about using this product. I need to open Instagram. I need to book, you know, this Uber. I need to go buy this item, whatever it is. Um, and so a big part of what we focus on are what are the triggers that we can drive to people, especially the ones who need more motivation, who aren't internally intrinsically motivated, but need a little extrinsic boost to get out there to want to go out and do cardio. And I feel like that's one of the things that a lot of programs like Strava, like Nike Run Club, like Map My Fitness and all that don't really do very well. But whereas apps like Pokemon Go, because here's a great stat for you, Pokemon Go to this day tracks more miles every month than every major fitness tracker so like wow. strava map my fitness nike run club they track more miles than all those apps do every month consistently even to this day still and a big part of it is because those apps are getting people who usually wouldn't even run or walk consistently to go outside and do it every day like one or two miles a day to catch pokemon to hatch pocket to hatch you know the pokemon stuff like that and so if we can take that same experience make it mass market accessible for people and then also drive the same health functionality that a Strava or whatnot offers and that you can still track your mile pace, distance, and calories. I feel like we're hopefully tapping into something that can really help a lot of people hit those goals. That's fascinating. I had a consumer app that was also trying to gamify some stuff, exploring new places when I was in college. And one of the biggest problems that we had was figuring out like with gamification, how do you balance the interests of all the stakeholders, right? The app developers, the consumers, then the also the local businesses we were serving. When you say gamification, is there any prize components to it? Like, is there rewards for achieving certain milestones or things like that? Yes. So a lot of it is internal to the app. We have worked on extrinsic things before. So we've done giveaways with ASICs, with Puma. We've had cash prizes. We just did an activation with the San Francisco Marathon. We had a $1,000 prize for whichever run club or corporate team claimed the most of San Francisco during the marathon. So we've had things like that. But we try to keep it as intrinsic as possible. Have you guys ever heard of the uh, hedonic treadmill? Yeah. Yeah. So that's something I, I think about a ton. You know, apps like Sweatcoin, for instance, or Stepin, or any yep. of these other like pay to earn or pay or move to earn platforms have run into those problems where, oh my God, I'm getting paid to do this. Wow, that's amazing. You do it for a, for a week, a month, three months, a year, maybe even longer than that. But then one day, eventually, getting paid that same amount of money that used to excite you back then won't excite you later. And if that's the only reason that you're getting people interested in your product, then eventually they're going to fall off. And that's where a lot of apps like you know, Sweatcoin and Stepin and whatnot have struggled with retention because eventually, especially for apps like that that are free, where you're not getting a huge amount of revenue opportunities from the users, but yet you're paying them out every time they walk a mile, and you're either going to, A, have to pay them way less than you used to to get them interested, which is what happened to Stepin because they had to start cutting payouts. And then not only did they start cutting the amount they paid, but then the market cap of the coin that they were giving out dropped. So then the price of what they were giving people dropped and then the mm-hmm. amount they gave you dropped. And then people were like, why am I doing this? It's like the equivalent of working a job that used to pay you 50K and for your hard work, they lowered your salary to 40. Like, yeah. and not very motivated, not really an employee of the month move right there. <laughs> uh, so what we focus more so on is trying to find ways to make the game interesting enough that people love the game and then layering on top of that foundation of interest that people already have extrinsic rewards with different groups like a fleet feet like a brooks running like you know a cash prize that we get sponsored for different activations in the app etc 
So how did you actually go about building the app? Did you outsource that? Did you have like a technical founder? How'd that work? Yeah, I had a CTO. That's a funny story. So the way we build our team is super funny. So I'm not technical. I can't code my way out of an HTML file. <laughs> I'm not. I sell stuff. That's my thing. So I, once I got the idea and what I really wanted in March 2021, just started randomly DMing as many engineers I could on LinkedIn. So genuinely, I was going on there. I was just looking up like, okay, mobile development background and preferably people who've worked on mobile apps in the gaming space. So I was like looking for people who used to work at Pokemon Go, Tencent, whatever. Uh, and then I just started cold DMing them. I sent about 400 in about a month span. All of them either said no or didn't respond uh, but I stayed in touch with the ones who at least responded. So there was this one guy, name was Max. If you listen to this, hi, Max. Love you, buddy. Hope you're still coding right now. Uh, so in March of 21, I got in touch with Max and we hopped on a call. He was working as an iOS engineer at LinkedIn. And then he'll tell you that he didn't say no. And technically, he didn't. But have you ever, here's, here's a funny you know, analogy for you. Have you ever been talking to a girl at a bar? And even though she technically didn't say, no, I'm not interested, you could tell off <laughs> her interest level in the conversation that she was not into you. Of course. Okay, exactly. That's exactly what he was doing. I was talking about, yeah, I got this great cardio fitness ID. He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's pretty cool, man. I hope that works out for you. I'm like, yeah, you didn't say no, but you didn't. You... Context clues, buddy. I'm not stupid. All right? I can read the room. So anyway. So we stayed in touch, though, because we connected on LinkedIn. So obviously, you're still seeing my feed, and I was posting constant content on LinkedIn. And so we got our first investment, and I can come back to this later, but we got our first investment to, from Pokemon Go in December of 21. So I made a post on LinkedIn about it. He commented on that post and said, oh, hey, man, glad you're still working on this. Glad to see the dream coming true, yada, yada, yada. So then I hit him. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, let's let's catch up. Let's hop on a Zoom call. This is where I got his ass. <laughs> because we hopped on a call, and he was like, yeah, man, what's up? I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, you know, good Good stuff's happening. You know, we were up to about, at this point, we still hadn't even written our first line of code yet when we got that first investment. So literally, it was all just a website and like a beta wait list. So it was like, yeah, we got 500 people on the wait list. Uh, you know, we got some really cool clickable prototypes made. You know, all this cool stuff's happening. One thing we're missing now is just an engineer to help us build the thing. <laughs> this is where I got him. And I was like, yeah, man. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to connect with you. I was curious if you know anybody else that you could refer <laughs> me to. He's like, anybody else well well i'm a great engineer i'm like what? you no no you're you're a linkedin no you wouldn't want to do this like well actually i've been plotting a change of career actually and i've been wanting to get in back into the startup space and uh and you know i, I feel like i'll be really good at making this problem like oh man i mean but you know you, you'd have to quit your job and all that i mean you you know i do all that well actually well i wouldn't be opposed like oh well I guess if you want to, I mean, no, it's your not master big plan all worked out. Oh, I got it. I laugh, we laugh about this all the time because I, I did. I was like real reverse Uno card because I pitched him into pitching himself. <laughs> so that's how I got my CTO. We've been working together full time since March of last year. Um, and then also our third co-founder slash first hire, technically, uh, we brought on March of this year. And he was actually a little bit interesting. And in a weird way, I was actually working with him sort of before I was even working with my CTO, Max. Because in August of 21, I actually got in touch. This is around the time I got with Pokemon Go. It's all Pokemon Go centric. <laughs> but around this time, I got in touch with Pokemon Go. And they're like, yeah, we want to see what you made. And at that point, I had some very ugly Figma prototypes. I'll just be honest. Because I made them myself. And UI UX, not my things. They mm -hmm. were very ugly. So I was hitting up, I was part of this program called Venture for America, and I was hitting up a whole bunch of people in this cohort of entrepreneurial post-college grads who were trying to get in the startup world. I'm like, yo, who here is good at Figma or UI UX? I need some help. I got a meeting with a really important group in like two weeks, and I don't know how to make stuff. And it, I have four days to make it because my meeting is on Monday and it's like <laughs> Thursday. Who can take a weekend to work on this? I will pay you. And then my now chief product officer slash co-founder, Nerev, Said, oh, yeah, I can help you make it. I was like, oh, dude, how much would it cost? He's like, oh, no, nah, don't worry about it. I'll just make it for you. I'll just, you're, you're a bro. So he made it, made some sleek-ass prototypes, showed it to them. They were very impressed, and that was one of the reasons why we ended up getting the investment. So then fast forward a couple months down the line, me and Max are working with each other now going into 2022. We were working with a whole bunch of different interns and different, like, you know, UI, UX contractor shops type places, and they were just doing, frankly, a terrible job. Like, the way they were designing it just was very ugly. So... 
he was like, well, who else do we know who we can give some money to who could do this really well, do this well? I was like, well, there is this one guy I talked to many moons ago. <laughs> and we hit him up. He said he was open to helping us out. And then, um, you know, he worked with us for over a year as a contractor. And he just got to a point like, well, we raise money now and we love you and you love working with us. You work hard. You're good at your job. It makes sense for us to just, you know, pay you full time. And we just brought him on. And even though he technically wasn't like a co-founder of the company, we gave him the co-founder title because, I mean, he's just been working with us so much. And he was a big reason why we got any of our investment money because the designs he made just felt right. So that's how I found my original founding team. So how do you guys split up your day-to-day work between you three? Oh, yeah. Very specific. Near of designs. Max codes. I sell. So pretty much everything that falls in the business category that's me. I've got a couple of interns and in our part-time who help me with that. But pretty much fundraising, partnership calls, marketing content, ideas, strategy, traveling for VC meetings, pitch competitions, anything that requires front-facing business-oriented stuff, me. Max handles everything tech, so coding, back-end database, debugging, thinking about product roadmap. And anything that requires a very technical side, that's him. And then Nerev handles pretty much everything design-wise. So, like, website design, um, app design, Figma prototyping, user interviews, product calls, um, talking to our advisors who help us on the product side, thinking about UI, UX strategy, what iterations we're going to make down the line, user interviews, pretty much everything product-oriented is him. So you have this dream of building the Pokemon Go for running, and then flash forward, Pokemon Go literally is an investor in Decardia, right? Yeah. Talk about what was that like? What was like the exact cold email DM or that you sent them to get them interested? Oh, yeah. That's my favorite story to tell. <laughs> so this is March, same time when I was reaching out to people like Max. So I reached out to 400 people. Max was just one. One of those other 400 was a guy who used to be the head iOS engineer for Pokemon Go when it launched in 16. Left the company in 2020. But obviously, he had the skills. He didn't forget those. So I reached out to him, pitched him. He, was, he at that time, was no longer at Niantic. He was a parent company for Pokemon Go. He was now at Apple as a senior iOS engineer. So, I mean, being a senior iOS engineer at Apple, I mean, legit. So I reached out to him and said, hey, man, this is what I got. This is what I'm working on. Would you be willing to help me out with it? And he said, frankly, no, you can't afford me, which he was very right. <laughs> <laughs> Still couldn't. But... He said, I really like your idea. And also, you just got, you know, the balls to actually reach out and pitch some guy randomly on LinkedIn you never met. So that's like the qualities of a quality founder who's really trying to make this happen. So what I'm going to do for you is I am going to leave the CEO of Pokemon Go's email on the floor and you can pick it up and do whatever you want with it. I can't make an intro for you, but if you, you know, take it, you know, whatever you do with it is up to you. (laughs) Wow. So I copy pasted (laughs) that email address, of course. And so I was thinking, like, what's my angle? What's my angle? I was trying to think because this guy probably gets a ton of emails internally, a whole bunch of people externally who are probably trying to pitch him on stuff. So I was trying to think, what the hell can I say to this guy in a subject line and two paragraphs that would get him to at least take a meeting with me? So I did some research on him. And funny enough, he actually is a UT Austin uh, alumni. Oh, funny enough. I didn't even know that until after the fact, but that probably would have helped me in the moment. But um, I realized his favorite game was not Pokemon Go, but it was a game called Ingress. And Ingress is very similar to Pokemon Go, but instead of like you know Pokemon, obviously, it's like towers that you can attack and steal from other people by walking to those areas in town. And I was like, oh, dude, like it's like exactly like our app, but just not like specifically for like actual outdoor cardio tracking. So the subject line. Three, it was like four words. Ingress, comma, but with cardio, exclamation point. <laughs> and so mind you, this is like May of 21. So we literally only had a website at this point. We didn't really have any good Figma prototypes, not anything that I was proud enough to show. So I literally <laughs> emailed him. His name is John Hankey. I was like, hey, Mr. Hankey. Hi, my name is Destin. And I have an idea gamifying cardio, very similar to Ingress, where you claim and steal areas of town that you move through. Would love to chat. Thanks. I was basically all I wrote. Sent him the email. I added a gif of like people running on a cardio background, <laughs> like just a standard graphic. And then I like linked to the website. And that was it. So that was May of 21. Now, mind you, I'm a basketball player. So a lot of my analogies are basketball oriented. This is the equivalent of shooting a, a full court shot at the halftime buzzer. So if you miss the halftime, if you miss the halftime buzzer beater full court shot, you don't 
open the third quarter with that shot again to say, oh, I could have made that one. I'm going to shoot it again. <laughs> so I never even sent a follow-up email because to me it was just such a full-court heave. It didn't even make sense to me to even like try again because it wow. was just like it's either going to happen or it's not. So I never responded or doubled down on that. No follow-up email. So that was May. Two months later, out of nowhere, I don't even have email tracking or anything, so I couldn't even see if he was like opening this email. So it was just like so random. So this is May 17th. July 14th. I get an email from John says, oh, Destin, cool idea. Let's chat. I immediately call my mother. I'm like, what the fuck, mom? Like, <laughs> <laughs> So we hop on the Zoom call. He didn't even join. It was a bunch of people on his team. I gave him the pitch and whatnot. And it was like super informal. They were like, hey. And I, I even asked them up front because I was so surprised they took the meeting. I just straight up asked, like, why did you guys take this meeting? And they said straight up. Well, John told us to. I was like, oh, well, classic. Hey, well, at least he told you and you showed up. You know, you didn't have to do that. So that's fine. So I just pitched him. I was like, yeah, you guys want to see like my deck? I'm like, no, nah, we don't want to see your deck. I'm like, well, you want to see my prototype? He's like, no, nah, we don't need to see your prototype. I was like, okay. So I'm just, we're just going to talk. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I talked for like 30 minutes. They said, okay, cool. We'll get back to you on what we're thinking, blah, 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 blah. Three months passed and they did not get back to me. <laughs> and at this point, now this is different. Whereas that last one was a full court heave. This one was more like a wide open mid range jumper. I know I can make a mid range. So in my mind, I was like, I'm going to keep shooting until I make one. Because this one is tangible. They actually met with me. They actually took the time to look at my stuff and I have their attention. So I just emailed them every week for three months straight about any little update. Oh, we tweaked the website. Change the copy here. We added 12 people to our wait list. We got a non-provisional patent on route capturing. I don't even know what the fuck that means. But I was like, oh, I figured that would be cool to them. So I just went and like filed a patent for that. We didn't even get it. But I was like, oh, boy, we filed it. But I filed it to let them know I was doing stuff. And so this is like July of 21. So then come October of 21, after DMing them a ton, emailing them a ton, eventually one of the ladies came back and was like, hey, Destin, you got time to hop on a Zoom call in you know, a week? I was like, Ugh. Duh. But I didn't want to sound so eager. I was like, yeah, let me check my calendar. Yeah, it looks like, yeah, it looks like I got time Tuesday at 11 p.m. I can make something Yeah, like, we can make that work. I'll, my people talk to your people. Like, uh, got my calendar. Pick a time. So we hop on. It was super informal. And it started off as kind of a roast. But I hopped on a call. And this lady, she was in her car on her phone driving to go pick up her kids from school. So I'm like, okay, this is extremely informal. And so she started off by basically roasting me by saying, like, you know, you know your, your website's not great. You figure my prototypes are a little shoddy. You don't have an engineering team. You don't have any lines of code. You have no game experience. I'm like, we're going to get to the butt soon. <laughs> He's like, but we really like the idea and we like your tenacity. Because most people would, you know, after not getting a call back or an email back, they might send one or two and then go about their day and focus on other places. But you send us an email like every week consistently for three months time and was reaching out to new people at LinkedIn, through LinkedIn who worked at the company and did this and did that. Those are the type of people who win. So we're going to give you a $50,000 grant. Don't have to pay it back. No equity. Here's 50K. Free money. Take it. Run with it. Kick butt. And then come back to us with what you did. So that's how we got that first investment. What a story. So like, like she mentioned over the phone, you have a lot of tenacity. That seems to be true. Not a lot of people would keep on sending that email for three months straight, right? Why do you think that you were able to do that? Or what's different about you? I think the biggest thing is I just know what it's like to not have stuff. You know, I grew up, I wouldn't say poor. I was like lower middle class. You know, I had everything I needed, nothing I wanted. I never walked in the house and the electric didn't work, but we were eating, you know, top ramen, hamburger helper. And I was taking the bus pretty much everywhere because I didn't have a car or anything. So I just know what it's like to not have stuff, but I know how hard you have to work to go from not having something to becoming a self-made man. And in my opinion, nobody's ever going to hand you anything. So especially when you have an opportunity as big as this, because it'd be one thing is like, oh, I never got a response. They were blocking my emails and I was like creating burner emails so I could get an email to them. Like that would be a little excessive. But you did reach back out to me. You did take a Zoom call. You did express enough interest to at least take the initial meeting. At that point, I would be an idiot to just allow that opportunity to just fall to the wayside because you didn't say yes the first time I asked you. Wow. Yeah, so so you did this. You've been doing this for three years now. Yeah, pretty much. So, number one, how do you keep going for three years? Um, I mean, it was a while until you got your first $50,000 check. How do you, you said you were a broke college kid, like just came out of college. So yeah. how do you survive for those three years and how do you keep pushing on for like those three years? Man, so it was tough, especially that first year 
because I had this idea for cardio. And that's why even though I've technically been working on it for three years, it's very variable in how you define that three. Because this time last or this time three years ago in 2020 is when I got like the first inkling of an idea. But I was broke. And, you know, you can't pay the bills or eat off of your dreams. They're not worth much when you try to swipe a credit card. So I had to do a whole bunch of different things. Now, one thing about me is I'm kind of unhirable because I hate authority and not doing what I want to do at all times. So I just started a whole bunch of random business ideas. So I had this B2B SaaS company around in like remote companies trying to engage their employees through a plugin on Slack. And I worked on that for like four or five months. And we, we got to about like five or $6,000 in monthly recurring revenue for that. And I got an angel investment of 100 k to get started on that from some guy. I got a lot of random ass stories, y'all. <laughs> yeah. I got that angel investment from a guy who was actually interviewing me for a job at his company. And I told him mid-interview, I don't want this job. I just realized as I talked to you these last 15 minutes that I would be miserable <laughs> working for you. But he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to build stuff. And he said, mm, I like that tenacity. It takes a really bold person. And mind you, at that time, I was living in a hotel. I didn't even have a place to live. I was like a long-term stay hotel, paying day by day and making the money each day to be able to afford a place. And mid being that broke, eating peanut butter out of a jar and rotisserie chicken at Walmart like every day for like three weeks, I was like, no, nah, I don't want this job. He's like, why would a person as broke as you say that for a job that you pretty much would have got if you just said the right things? He's like, he said, that shows like a level of like being a legit builder. That's the kind of guy I can invest in. I got a startup studio I'm working on. I want to give you 100K to start something. And I start working on that. I use that money to be able to cash flow my way into being eventually able to get out of like, you know, living out of my car in a hotel to eventually being able to get an apartment. Around March of 21, which is the same time I got the idea for cardio being like this giant game of turf war, I started making YouTube videos and Twitch streaming around NBA 2K. And I made a very unique style of video. It wasn't just, you know, like, all these other dudes on Twitch were just like yelling and screaming and making funny reactions and stuff like that. I was making like video essay type things about the esports industry and stuff like that. And the NBA actually saw those videos. And they actually sponsored me to make videos. And then that turned into like a very lucrative esports content creator career working with the NBA and Old Spice and McDonald's and all these other brands. I did that full time and used that money to fund the initial process of building out cardio once I got that idea. Then I did that full time. I was also investing a lot, so I was, you know, investing in stocks, crypto back when that was still cool. <laughs> back when we live and we doing, learn. We ooh. <laughs> we learned. We learned. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I used all those things. Plus I was living dirt cheap. Like I literally had an apartment. I had a bed, a desk, a chair, and I had a TV. And that was it. I had no furniture or nothing for nine months. I was living super cheap. I was just eating fast food and like cheap instant meals and stuff like that for like a year, saving as much money as possible, investing it back, and then just trying to figure out ways I could fund cardio and you know keep the esports brand building and stuff like that. So after about a year of doing that, and all this stuff is happening at like the same time, so there's a lot I'm trying to squeeze in here, but December is when I got that money from Pokemon Go. Around that same time, you know, I was making really good money in the esports space. I was making about like eight to ten K a month doing like all these different brand gigs. And I was making a lot of money, you know, investing my money wisely. So that's around the time I acquired my first rental property and I used that as a way to subsidize my rent by house hacking a duplex where I live in it, but rent out, you know, the other side and then also have a roommate who pays me rent on my side and that covered the whole mortgage and most of the taxes and whatnot. So that way I could save money on rent and then leverage that money into investing back into cardio. And that's when we got that 50K grant around the same exact time I closed on the house and around the time we got that money. And then from there, I realized, you know what, dude, honestly, to build this the right way, I got to double down on it. So around that time in pretty much January 22, when I got you know my co-founder Max on board is when I completely scrapped everything else I was doing. I stopped you know, actively day trading anyway. I still did a little bit, but to actively stopped doing like to the point where I was like waking up 830 and looking at like all these charts and da da da, I scrapped my content business. I told the NBA and all these other people, I'm done. I'm committed to this app, scrapping it. Just threw all my money away, basically. And then I went that whole year of 2022 without making any salary, working on cardio until we finally were able to raise like a legitimate pre seed round in November. So I went that whole year without making pretty much any consistent money out of like a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there for like random gigs I got for content still. That's commitment. I mean, if you have things that are like paying you money and you have an idea in the back of your head like i want to do this and do this it's yeah. hard to give up those things that are paying you money right now to shoot for that moonshot of something that could be huge in the future how did you go about making that decision that was a really difficult one for me so um a big part of it was thinking about like what do i value because it'd be one thing if 
I was just working a job. Like I was just an SDR at Oracle and it's like, you know, a job. I don't love it. It's just something that pays the bills. But my content business was mine. It was me, a business that I built. I was, I love the content I made. I love, you know, going out on these trips. Cause I would, you know, they would fly me out to go to places and meet NBA players. Like I was hanging out with like RDC world and phase clan and all these other people wow. and, and like doing the same stuff that they were doing, going on these trips to Vegas and they would pay for my flight and my hotel and stuff like that. They gave me a whole content, uh, a content series that I was getting posted on the NBA channel and stuff like that. I was doing a whole bunch of stuff. And I remember the moment that I really had to sit down and like figure out what do I want to do was it was it was mid-September of 2021. I was in Dallas for this 2K event that the NBA was hosting. I was there with all these other like 100,000 million plus subscriber YouTubers and stuff like that. At that point, you know, I was still relatively small. I was doing stuff with the NBA, but I hadn't spent a lot of time building my individual brand because I was doing so much brand work. I wasn't really building my brand. They said, hey, we want to double down on you to really build your brand so you can get to the same level as those guys are and you can be our guy. So we want to double down. We're going to give you like a bigger content series. We're going to give you legit budget and people who are going to edit stuff for you. We're going to give you a pay raise. We're going to do this and do that. But, and that's what they told me. He's like, but, and I told him, I was never a liar. I said like, I'm working on this cardio fitness app. Something I really feel confident about. I said, you got to give that up though. If you're going to, if we're going to commit this much resource to you, you got to commit to us. And in that moment, mind you, this is September. This is before the night. This is around the time Niantic was still ghosting me. This is before my CTO was in the picture, before we had any money, before I had any you know, engineers working on the project or anything like that. It was just me, um, the founder of Map My Run, who I didn't mention, but he was an advisor who was just you know, giving me advice along the way and said, this is a good idea. A whole bunch of user interviews of people saying, this would be cool if you made it. And then my own intuition of what I thought I could do with it if I got the funding. And I just said, dude, I like making content, but I would love to build this company. And I know if I commit to you, I can't do that. And I trust myself so much that if I do it, I know I can do it well. And I just said, you know what, guys, honestly, I appreciate it, but I'm out. I can't. I don't do you think that comes back to like wanting to do your own thing? Because you are building your own content, but you're doing yeah. it for someone else. And they're saying yeah. you have to do this and this. Do you think yeah. there's something to do with that? I think that plays a part because there was a lot of oversight, especially making content for the NBA. Like... I would make a video for them, and then they would send me back like a laundry list of edits. Oh, at 1 minute 41 seconds, you say this. You can't say that. That might be offensive. And then we need to change this graphic here. I want you to say this there. We need this shout out there. I don't really like this. This joke doesn't land for me specifically, so you need to get rid of it. Uh, so there was a level of like that oversight and how much policing they did of my content that didn't really let me be my most authentic self, and that led to a lot of friction. But I think if I loved it enough, I would have been fine with it. I think what it really came down to was I just saw, if we're looking at like present value versus future value here on cash, content in general. There's a lot of people who make a lot of money off it. But to be like one of these multimillionaire type content creators, like a Speed, a Kai Sinet, you got to stream like eight hours a day. You got to be making content constantly. And you also got to kind of get lucky. And I realized I don't love video games enough to play them every day. <laughs> I just realized that over that year, because I was having to talk about a game every single day and go out and hang out with these people who's like made that their entire lives. And I just realized I'm not nearly as passionate about this as you guys are. Like I would go there and they would like spend 30 minutes talking about like patches. I don't care y'all. I'm just playing the game, dude. I'm just having a good time with it. And uh, how much of a business and how technical it was like just, it ruined it for me. So I didn't really love it as much as I did. And then also I looked at it on like a, you know, straight up like dollars and cents level for me to go out there. And let's say I did make all that time to make this like my full time thing, eight hours a day, every day, playing games, hopping on trends, yada, yada, yada. I would maybe make, you know, let's say millions of dollars eventually one day. If I'm like the top tier, if cardio is as successful as I think it is, just looking at the industry, the founder of Matt My Run, who's one of our advisors, he sold his company for $150 million to Under Armour. And he still owned like 20-ish percent of the company at that point. So he cashed out, you know, at least pre-tax, um, like $30 million. I can do a lot more with that than I could with just, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars here and there. Like, that's a cash flow business. But at the end of the day, it doesn't scale. Like, the only way I make money is if I hop on a Twitch stream, if I make a piece of content, if I put myself on camera. Because people are buying my personality. That's what they're paying for. And I can't really outsource myself. <clears throat> so it just felt like doing this at a high level versus doing that at a high level, cardio would be a much higher dividend payout for me if I did it well. So you mentioned that you had 
a lot of people come to you and say like, we love your test and tenacity. You keep coming back and they see, saw something in you and that's why maybe they want to invest in you. Have you always had that? Have you, were you like the, the kid in high school that everyone was like, he's going to go do something crazy? Or do you have one of those stories where a teacher told you you're never going to be anything? What, what brings you the confidence that you have today to, in order to bet on yourself like so strongly? I think I've always had a very strong sense of what I'm capable of, even when other people haven't recognized that. So like high school and all that was weird for me because I was at the same time a really talented high potential student and also an absolute dickhead at the same exact time because I had terrible grades. Like my GPA was like a 2.3 weighted. One of the reasons why I didn't go to Michigan Ann Arbor is because I didn't qualify because of my GPA. But at the same time, I got a 31 on my ACT. I gave our commencement speech. I was running businesses in high school, you know, cutting grass, shoveling snow, flipping flipping shoes. I was even like ghostwrite people's essays for scholarships and stuff like that. I did a whole bunch of stuff. I made money and people were like, that kid, like if he gets his shit together, he would be able to do some really cool stuff. But then at the same time, you know, getting in fights, just talking in class, getting tension, skipping school because I just didn't care. So it was weird where my tenacity showed in the places that I cared. And that's what it's always been for me. The areas of my life that I really care deeply about, I excel in the things that I don't. There's no there's no baseline for me. It's either high level or absolute piss poor performance. There's no middle ground. I'm scoring 50 or I'm going 0 for 10 from the field. Like, <laughs> so the things I cared about, like business, learning finance. I was the dude who was like reading finance books when he was you know 16 and learning about like how to invest and how that works. I started my first Roth IRA when I was 17 and doing all these different things. But then I was also getting like 1.8 GPAs. But then I also got a 31 on my ACT. But then I was also like getting in fights and getting in school suspension like every other day. But then I gave a commencement speech because the people who knew me knew me so well and knew how articulate I was. And I went to this art, this like government sponsored art camp for uh, creative writing, which is the main reason I went into college. But then, you know, something here, something there. So it was like an up and down thing. I think in college, I definitely like fleshed myself out more. I started to realize, all right, dude, you got to stop being a dickhead and like actually take your life more serious in all things at least. So, I mean, I showed up to school more. I still skipped a lot of class in college. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but I'm, you know, in college, I started an entrepreneurship organization. We raised about like $22,000 for students to help fund, you know, their startups, small businesses, took them on trips to like, you know, New York and San Francisco and whatnot for conferences. I started my first like legit actual business, like an actual LLC, working with brands, doing marketing work for them like Sky Zone and, and Lyft and other local groups in Lexington, Kentucky, where University of Kentucky is located in. Um, I did a whole bunch of little things in there. I think around college this time, people were like, oh, yeah, this kid's he might have it if he's tenacious. One of the things I'll never forget, I had a, um, a co-worker who worked at my college job, which is me like serving at this little private restaurant on campus. And I don't remember. This is like so honest. And I'm not a made man yet. So it's still a possibility this flips the other way. But she told me straight up my senior year. It's like, you know, you're the type of kid that you're either going to be extremely successful or you're going to crash and burn really hard by the age of 30. Like you're either going to be like a multimillionaire by the time you're 30 or you're going to be in jail or like cracked out or something like that. <laughs> I was like, you know what? That is like the most honest perspective anybody's ever given me in my life. Because I 100% believe her, honestly. Because mm-hmm. the type of dude is like my tenacity and my intensity. It goes in the right direction or the wrong direction, but there's no like middle ground. I couldn't really see myself having just a normal 50K sales job at like a big tech company just doing that consistently. It's either going to be something really amazing or we're going to like crater hard. That's, there's this beautiful Elon Musk quote and it's like when something is important enough, you do it even if the odds are not in your favor. And it seems that you've kind of adopted that similar mentality where you made these sacrifices that were probably very difficult to make with things that were working out, but you're like, you know what? No, I'm going to take this big risk and something that's going to take years to compound, work on cardio. Mm. And you've fallen through, followed through on that, and so far have been proven to be a success. I mean, you have great traction. What advice would you have for other people who are kind of in a similar situation where they have this dream of this idea that they know can work in their heads, but there's too many variables, too many factors, too many people telling them, no, stick with the thing that's safe and don't give that up? I would say you got to soul search and figure out what do you really value in your life because it's very easy to say you want something like, you know what? I want a nice car. I want a 10 out of 10 baddie. I want to have abs. I want to be an NBA player. I want to do this and do that. Like Everybody obviously wants those things. Who wouldn't want those things? But what's more important is what are you willing to sacrifice to give that? You want to be an NBA player? Are you willing to go 
and train every single day on your jump shot, on your ball handling, go to go to you know travel and AAU ball, be coached rigorously, tough. Are you you want to be a founder? Like, are you willing to not make money working on something full time for years? If you want abs, are you willing to cut out the fast food and go to the gym every single day for like six months? So, you know, it's one of those things where everybody wants something, but you got to really introspect and figure out, do you actually want this thing? Because a lot of people look at me and said, oh, my God, you know, you got this house that you get people to pay for living in to you to help pay your bills. And you got this startup that you run full time. You got to do all these cool things with content. But a lot of people don't see the things that went into getting there. They only see the outcome. They don't see like the inputs. Um, So you got to figure out, like, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to get to that point? And if you do, after soul searching and realizing in an honest conversation with yourself, I am willing to do those things. I am willing to eat peanut butter out of the jar and live in a hotel for a couple of months so that I can save enough money to be able to work on this instead of getting a job. If you're willing to do those things, then at that point, you just got to see it through and don't let any of the external things that are happening to you get in the way of whatever it is that you're doing. You got to firmly, wholeheartedly believe in it. If they don't respond, like a Niantic doesn't respond to your email, you can't take that personal. You got to keep pushing forward and either make them respond or find the next opportunity. A lot of people, as soon as they hit that first roadblock or obstacle, they immediately flake on what they said they wanted to do because they say, well, this is too hard. Like everybody's like super motivated to go to the gym. They watch like some David Goggins TikTok or something like that. It's like, they don't know me, son. Who's going to carry the boats? And the logs. <laughs> and they go to the gym for three days and then they wake up the fourth day and they're sore and their buddies want to go get pizza and drinks on East 6th Street and then they go out and they're like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym today. I got all this pizza sloshing around with the beer in my stomach and I'm not going to go. And then they don't go the next day and the next day and then all of a sudden they're back where they started. And you can't really get away with that in the startup world. If you're not moving forward every day you're moving backwards mm. well, yeah i guess we gotta leave it there thanks for coming on the podcast and uh yeah i, I definitely learned a lot from this yeah this episode. one last thing we'll ask is i know through many of these podcasts people will be listening like while they're cooking or while they're driving or things like that and so many times a lot of the information since it's been an hour can just go in one ear and out the other right right if you have to leave the audience with one main takeaway or one actionable thing that they could do like today or this week to really uh, further themselves in either their entrepreneurship journey or just in life in general, what would you leave that message? Mm, damn, one thing, so many things. Um, if I had to say one thing, it would just be believe in yourself even when nobody else does. Nobody's going to believe in your startup, in your small business idea, in your podcast, in whatever it is you're doing until you believe in, in it. When I talk to my co-founders about why they quit their jobs or didn't take a job to take less money to work with me, the main reason they say is because your conviction is ridiculous. Like, it's hard to not follow a person who has so much conviction. Like I told, because I just straight up, you know, like we got about, in terms of the money we raise right now, about six months of runway until we need to raise more or execute on some of the money that we have raised that's been tranched. And we had a meeting today, said like, okay, what's the plan if we run out of money? I said, first off, we're not. I'm not going to let that happen. But secondly, if we do, I'm willing to sell my house to continue to pay for this business if it comes down to it. And stuff like that, they said, like, you can't not follow a guy who's got that level of conviction in what he's doing because that's the type of person that you follow to the end. It's like your Alamo type thing where it's like, I'm, we're fighting to the last man. Now, hopefully we don't have to do that. That's obviously the goal. But in the startup, there is that ever lingering fear that, hey, 95% of these don't work out. And we're potentially not part of the 5%. And the longer you allow that doubt to sit in your brain and affect the way you move forward, that trickles down to everybody, investors, partners, potential employees or co-founders. So if you don't have the conviction yourself, you're already dead. You're dead in the water. Beautifully said. Well, thank you so much, Destin. It's been a pleasure. And I'm very optimistic about the future of cardio. So keep it up. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for the interview.